Last week, I gave you the background to the title, First Things First, and this is actually part two. We did not conclude last week, but we did note last week in our study that Paul, in starting his letter to Titus, is doing so by turning the attention of Titus to the person and the character of God, which is very essential before he deals with the task that Titus had failed to carry out. In turning to the person and the character of God, we gave you the outline that you find in your bulletin. He's pointing out that our God is sovereign. Secondly, that our God cannot lie. And thirdly, that it is God that brings grace and also peace. And those are very essential for Titus to be reminded of, for Paul to be reminded of, as well as with us. And we began in that study as we started through the passage to deal with the first point and to notice that God is indeed sovereign. And while we might assume that anyway, it is very challenging when it gets into the specifics. But Paul pointed out as he began the letter, and you can look at verse 1 to start. I will reread it in a moment. But he started to point out that he can speak, we can see excuse me, the sovereignty of God in Paul's life. Because Paul, his credentials were that he was a bond slave. He was a servant of God. He had been purchased by God. He didn't go seeking God. God bought him out and bought him, redeemed him. And he's not only been a bond slave, but the second way he gave his credential was that he's an apostle. He is one that is sent by Jesus Christ to accomplish a task. So Titus could look back at the man Paul, who he looks up to greatly as a leader, and see the sovereign work of God in Paul's life, who was a persecutor of the church, who hated the things of God, and God on the Damascus Road struck him down, and now we find this man as a bond slave and an apostle. God chose Paul, and God sent Paul. He didn't do this on his own. Now, why was he sent? And this is what we concluded with last week. He was sent for two purposes, as stated in verse 1. One, for the faith of the chosen. That is for faith. That is for salvation. He was sent forth for the salvation of souls that Paul's ministry would result in people coming to know the one true sovereign God and what he's like. And the second aspect is for, verse 1, the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness. And I entitled that for sanctification. That is Paul's mission as a bond slave, Paul's mission as being sent as an apostle was to bring the message of salvation to people so that they would come and have a relationship with God, and then the sanctification for, of people as they knew and grew in their knowledge of the truth and would come to know God so that they would grow and wouldn't stay as infants in Christ. And with that, we pick it up in verse 1 today and continue our study with the sovereignty of God. So I want to read the verse again, just uh, uh, re rehearsing all the rest of the passage. Well, that verse, Paul, a bondservant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of the, now watch this, for the faith of the chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. And now we come to the last aspect of verse one that points to the sovereignty of God. And that is, it is seen not only in his work in Paul's life, 
But the sovereignty of God is seen in election. The sovereignty of God is seen in election. The chosen of God. Now, I want to say right up front, this subject is offensive. This subject is abrasive. This subject is controversial to the mind of man. We don't like it. We don't want to hear it. And when we do hear it, we get defensive and we want to fight against it. Nevertheless, it is biblical and it must be understood. God is God and as God has the right to do anything that he wants or he's not God. Now this is a very poor illustration, but I'm going to give you one right away. Now he does in the text that you read when he uses a potter and clay. And we understand that living in New England. And even though we're now in the 21st century, we still go visit places like Sturbridge Village. We go visit places uh, down in the Cape. And as we do go to places like that, we still see people molding things. And they decide that they're going to make a cup here. They're going to make a bowl there. They're going to make this bowl this way, this bowl that way. And we understand that illustration in Romans, that it is the potter who decides what he does, when he wants to do it, and what it's going to be used for. And the other illustration that I'll give you that might, as I said, be a poor one, but hopefully you can understand it. If you happen to have a garden, it is you that chooses what to do. You choose where the garden's going to be, what you're going to grow, what you're going to do with it, and the guard, the vegetables don't turn around and say, I don't want to be a carrot. And your yard doesn't get up in the morning and say, you put it in the wrong spot. I want the nourishment over here. You got the garden in the wrong place. Now that doesn't happen. We know that. If you are such a gardener and have such a good garden, and so you choose it so large to hire people, you choose who you hire. You choose who works in the garden. You choose how much you're going to pay them. You choose what you're going to do. You're in control. We understand that. But when it comes to God, we don't like it. God has the right to do anything that he wants. And he is sovereignly in control. He has chosen situations. What do you mean? He chose to create the world. It wouldn't be here unless he chose to do it. Now, that's not too offensive because we're glad it's here. Although men fight against creation. God chose to create it. God has chosen many people in many other situations that we do understand. For example, he chose to create Adam. He chose it. He chose his name. He could have done anything that he wanted, but he chose to create Adam. God chose to create good angels, according to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21, and to choose bad angels. Who made that choice? God did. It's biblical. It was God, according to Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6, that said to Israel, I chose you you did not choose me. 
That's clear. The nation of Israel is who they are and are called the people of God because God said so. End of discussion. It was God that called Abraham. It was God that chose to use Noah. He could have done anything he wanted with anyone that he wanted, or he wouldn't be God. It is God who chose David over all his other brothers. It was God that we have seen in our text that has chosen the Apostle Paul. And so we ought not to be surprised and ought not to be offended when we come to this subject, but we are. And yet it tells us very clearly in verse 1, he says that Paul, the chosen one, was sent for the faith, that is salvation, of those chosen by or of God. Does God choose for salvation? Yes. It is clear in Scripture. He is the one who chooses those who will be saved. In fact, he chose all of the apostles. They didn't choose him. He chose them. Let me show you a number of verses. And as I said, when we hear that, we get offended. What right does God have to choose this one over that one? Every right in the world. Why should God not choose this one? Let me tell you something early. You've heard it before from many people. If you are saved, you ought to be thanking God because there's no reason for him to choose you or me. He did. And we ought not to be asking the question, why doesn't he choose this one? We ought to be asking the question, as you've heard it a thousand times, why did he choose me? But our mind even rebels against that because we say, it's obvious he should have chosen me. Really? God has the right to choose. Let's look at a bunch of verses. And as I said, they are offensive. This is a subject matter that's not addressed frequently in churches. Why? Because it is offensive. It's going to make people leave a church. Look, it's the truth. And it's what man needs to know. Turn with me to John chapter 15. Stay with me as we look at some verses. <coughs> John chapter 15. This is a book that we studied. I just chose one verse. Why? Because I decided to choose this verse. That's why. How's that for an illustration? You can choose a thousand verses. This is the one I chose. John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me. Is that clear? That's Jesus Christ talking. He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. His disciples understood that. Matthew, Mark. We, we look at uh, the apostles, okay? And Peter, I chose you. You didn't choose me. I went and called you to myself. Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Stay with me. Acts chapter 13. Personally, and this is personally, I think that this is the clearest verse in Scripture on this subject. There are many, many clear verses. But in Acts chapter 13, verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, what? 
in verse 47, very simply, he says, I've placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Great, good message. Now watch. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Who believed? The ones appointed. Who are the ones appointed? The ones that were chosen. Who are the ones that were chosen? The ones that God selected to eternal life. Will everyone that is appointed believe? Yes, they will. But it is God's sovereign plan that even when the message is given, the ones that hear it and the ones that come to believe it are the ones that he's chosen. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Well, I'll go back to 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us. What was that? Just as he chose us. Where? In him. When? Before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Wow. That's all I can say. Wow. You say, Pastor Dan, that's subject to interpretation. Okay. You interpret it. Watch. You interpret this. Just as he chose us. Who chose? When did he do it? Before the foundation of the world. When did he do it? Before the foundation of the world. It can't get any simpler. It's straightforward. The reason it becomes complicated is we resist it. Even in verse 5, he predestinated us to adoption as sons. How? Through Jesus Christ. To who? Himself. Why? According to the kind intention of his own will. Why did he do it? He wanted to. Why did he choose? Because he chose to. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's a subject that man needs to hear. Why? To understand who God is. To understand how great a salvation we have. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, I believe is what I want. <clears throat> but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord. Why? Because God has chosen you. That's pretty consistent. Well, maybe he's got a different idea as to when it happened. From the beginning. Oh, same idea. Well, maybe it wasn't for salvation. For salvation. Oh, through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It's a mechanism by which he did it. We'll see that in a minute. Very clear. 1 Peter chapter 1. I want you to see this because I want to, in a sense, address it and move on. Feed it 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's see. Maybe Paul had it wrong. Peter, now he's the... He's the real key because he's the chief apostle here. Let's see what he has to say. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
to those who reside, uh-oh, as aliens? Wow. Sanctified throughout Pontus, Pontus, excuse me, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Oh, no. Who are chosen? Yes. Who are chosen? How? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Well, see, he only knew. I don't think so. That's not what the word foreknowledge or predestination all have to do with. By the sanctification of the work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ, to be sprinkled with his blood, which we just celebrated, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Peter said you were chosen. And probably the boldest illustration was your responsive reading. Go back with me to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Abrasive, yes. Offensive, yes. We become defensive, yes. But true, absolutely. Romans chapter 9. I'll just highlight a couple of verses. 15. And he says, that is God, to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. It's pretty clear. Look at verse 18. So then, he has mercy on whom he desires, whom he hardens. He hardens whom he desires. And the obvious way that man results in reacting to that, verse 19 you will say then, why does he yet fault? Who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? That's pretty straightforward. We have no right. God's got all the rights. He's not done. Verses 19 through 21. Verse 20. On the contrary, who are you, O man, again, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me this like this? Will he? Will it? Let me be pretty straightforward. You didn't come into the world and say, Mom and Dad, I don't like the way you made me. Do it again. Put me back. You and I did not say in the womb, I want these characteristics, color eyes, this height. I'm in control. Who do you think you are? Now, all of that's foolish to us. But the mind of man, when it comes to God, resists badly. In verse 21, does the potter have the right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honor, another for common use? Of course he does. Of course he does. And then it's pretty clear. He goes on to say, look it, God made a choice before anyone did anything good or anything bad. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. What right does God have to do that? Every right in the world. And so putting it very simply in Titus chapter 1, Paul was given for the faith of those chosen of God. God chooses for salvation. Yes, he does. That's why salvation is a gift. Listen carefully. You cannot obtain favor with God or salvation by good works. That is man's methodology. That if I am just good to enough people, God will have this scale in which he'll weigh everything and have to say, you win. Really? I got bad news for you. All men are sinners and have come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. The wages of sin is death. 
you will experience that physically. You are experiencing it now spiritually if you haven't trusted in Christ. You have no life with God. You will experience physical death because you are a sinner. The scale is already tipped. You lose. The only way you win is that if God intervenes and he comes down and saves you. You can't work. You say, well, you know, there's a lot of religions in the world. That's right. And there's a lot of religions, and they believe differently. That's true. And all of them are based on good works and following rules. And no religion, no church. You say, well, I go to Fellowship Bible Church. doesn't matter. That isn't going to save you. But my uncle and my aunt served as missionaries, and they were saved. Good. That doesn't save you. My parents are saved. That doesn't bring you to salvation. My uncle, my aunt. I trace my genealogy. I am a descendant of the Apostle Paul. Wonderful. That doesn't save you. You cannot do anything by your own efforts. It is a gift of God. You're in Romans. Turn to Romans chapter 3. See if this is Pastor Dan's own theology and he's making this up. I don't think so. You see why we also want to teach the whole counsel of God? Because you need to know this. It helps you to appreciate God more. It helps you to understand who he is. It helps you to really rejoice in the salvation that he's provided. Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, now we're going to deal with this through faith in a second, but through faith in Jesus Christ, Watch, for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified, uh-oh, as a gift. As a what? As a gift. What does that mean? You don't earn it. It's given to you. Well, how does that happen? By his grace. Where does that happen? Through the redemption, which is in who? Christ Jesus. That is the gospel, folks. That is the gospel. Salvation is a gift. It's granted by God. You say, I'm still not convinced. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Many of you could quote it, but I want you to go there. Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to see it. It's consistent in Scripture. Just verse 8. Well, I got saved because I was smart. I got saved because uh, God knew how good I was. I got saved because I was in the right family. I got saved. I lived in the right street. I got saved because of all the degrees I got. I got saved. No, 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 no. How did I get saved? Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved. Grace is a gift. It's gracious. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's pretty simple and straightforward. Salvation's a gift. We don't earn it. We can't obtain it on our own. You say, but we're studying the book of Titus. Does he say anything like that? Go back to the book of Titus. We'll deal with it later in detail, but turn to chapter 3 of Titus. And let's see what he says, or what Paul says to Titus. Verse 5. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done, 
in righteousness. That's pretty straightforward. Titus, we didn't get saved because of anything that we did, deeds, of our righteousness. Well, then how do we do it? Contrast. But according to his mercy, what was the means? And I'll talk about that now. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. We didn't obtain it on our own. God is sovereign. And it's seen not only in his selection of Paul, it's seen in his choosing for salvation. And don't miss this. God's sovereignty is also seen by the means in which election is accomplished. What is that? By the means in which election is accomplished. And it says that in Titus chapter 1, verse 1. He says that he is sent for the faith of those chosen of God. For the faith, what do you mean? Paul was sent for the faith of the chosen. That is in the preaching of the gospel. God has chosen to save people by the methodology of the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached. That's why we witness. Well, if Paul believed that, did he have a, a desire to be witnessing? How about Romans chapter 1? Let's go there for a second. Romans 1. This verse was used by the speaker last night. That's because I gave him my notes. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it, the gospel, is the power of God. Why? For salvation. To who? Everyone who believes. The Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, of course God's chosen. How does he bring the people to salvation? How did Pastor Dan come to salvation? How do you come to salvation? Through the preaching of the gospel. Why is that? Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Here's why and here's how. In Romans chapter 10, right now, just deal with verse 17. So faith, which is what we need since we don't earn it. Faith, how does it come? By hearing. Okay? In hearing? By the word of Christ. That's how. By the word being preached. That's how salvation comes. God has chosen that through the means of the gospel. But I thought, Pastor Dan, that men have to believe. They do. You say, now I'm totally confused. No. God is sovereign. That salvation comes and is appropriated by means of faith. And that faith comes how? Through the preaching of the gospel. Does man not have to believe? How about John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his own, that's free gift, gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus Christ, that whosoever does what? Believes. That's faith. He's got to believe. Should not perish but have everlasting life. The ones that believe have everlasting life. The ones that don't, don't have everlasting life. But how do they come to believe? How does that work in a practical sense? Now go back to Romans chapter 10. I think you'll get the whole picture. I just read verse 17. Let's go back to chapter 10 of Romans, verse 14. 
How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach? How will they preach what? Unless they've been sent. Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach or bring good news of good things. However, they did not all hear the good news. Why? For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So, that's the context. Faith that comes by the hearing of what? The good news and the hearing by the word of Christ. Turn with me to one more passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter three. Very interesting passage. Verse five. So then, he's, as he's dealing with this, he's about they were fighting over. I'm after Paul. I'm after Apollos. Look at verse four, and then he, there were others who said, you know, I'm after Christ. And he comes down to verse five. He says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? He answers it. Servants. Oh, that's consistent with Paul saying to Titus. Bond slaves. Now watch. Through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. That's clear. Paul is saying, it doesn't matter whether it's Apollos, it doesn't matter whether it's Paul, who are they? Nothing more than servants. For what? For this reason, they have been sent to preach good news so that as you hear good news, you will believe. Will everybody believe? No. Is it universal salvation? Will everybody end up in heaven? No. Who will end up in heaven? Only the elect. How does the elect come to believe? By hearing the gospel. That is why Paul said if he could have even give up in Romans his own salvation, that others, that's how burdened he was. So that Israel could be saved. Go back to Titus chapter 1 now. And what he's making very clear is this. Salvation is God's choice. He chose to save. He chose to send his son. And yes, man does have to believe. Well, how does he come to that? I just showed you. He comes to it because the gospel is what changes lives. Anyone in this room that has come to Christ, it is because you heard the gospel of salvation. You didn't have some magnet, magnet in your head. You didn't have some sign that you were walking around in life saying, I am the chosen, I am the chosen. I am the one, please preach to me, I'm waiting for you. No, we don't find anyone that way. All we find is all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and that's everyone. And so we go to everyone with the gospel, and we preach the good news. Why? Because that is our task. Paul was not told this. Paul, I chose you. I've chosen others. Go have a party. No, because I've also chosen you, Paul, and I chose the means by which people come to salvation, including you, Paul. 
And that is through the good news that Jesus Christ came into the world to die for sinners. And Paul could come to the place and say, he came into the world to die for sinners of whom I am chief. He knew who he was. He knew he was a sinner. And it was all grace and it was all a gift. And he didn't go around and saying, I need to get together with my friends and have this debate about election and the free will of man. He simply bowed his knee and said, thank God I'm saved. And I know it was the message of Jesus Christ. And God has said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father, but by him. That's the message. That's the good news. Man can be saved. And I'm given the responsibility to be a witness and to go out there and preach and leave the rest to God. And guess what? People will get saved. That's how you get saved. That's how I get saved. And even the people that say, uh-uh, I cannot believe that God chooses. Keep preaching the message because that is the means that they are brought to faith in Jesus Christ. It is through the message of God. And God somehow, it is beyond my brain, but God somehow miraculously takes people who are enemies, who are helpless, who hate God, and uses the message of salvation that Jesus Christ was sent into the world to pay the penalty and price for sin, and that only through faith in him can a man have forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. And he marvelously takes that message and delivers it through failing, weak instruments like us, so that at the right moment, at the right time, it comes together and people believe. They exercise faith. They appropriate the faith because God does a marvelous work through the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And anyone on either side of any debate about sovereignty or the free will of man who says they got it all together, count them a fool because they don't. There is no human brain that can put it all together. The fact is, it's taught. And the fact is, we leave it with God. And the fact is, God is God. He can choose. My responsibility is to go give the message. You know the problem? The problem would have been if Paul didn't go and preach. The problem will be and is when Christians don't go tell others. What frequently happens is a person comes to believe and is amazed. We heard a testimony of this last night. And is amazed how God opens their eyes and all of a sudden they understand salvation is a free gift and they come to believe and, and really know that for the first time, and I didn't even get that far, they've got peace in their heart and know that this is real and, and they kind of believe, they're not sure how it all happened, but they can't wait to tell everybody about it. And it usually happens, we come to know Christ and we're telling everybody and we're excited about it and we can't tell enough people and then time goes by. A couple of things happen to be fair about it. 
we do witness to all those that we know, so we run out of people that we can tell. That's, that's sometimes what we forget. We do have an opportunity, and we've told all our family, and we've told our neighbors and workers, and so we need opportunities, and I believe God uses that in our process to help us to grow, to realize, keep the zeal. I'll bring the people across. But the other thing also happens, and that is that sometimes we just lose the zeal. We just drift back into the world. We just back, drift back into comfortableness. And we lose the glory and the joy of salvation. And we need to be like David. Lord, renew a right spirit within me. Stir me up. And I personally believe, as I've shared with you, that in writing to Titus, even in this simple salutation, that Paul was driven by the Holy Spirit, but there was a purpose to get Titus back into his focus because he wasn't doing his job on who God is and what a privileged person Titus was. And he started by saying that I, Paul, am nothing more than a slave of God because God opened my understanding. And I'm sent so that people would believe and then grow. And Titus, you need to get them back into focus. Paul preached. Titus need to preach. We need to preach. We need to give the message. We need to do what God has called us to do and leave the rest to God. He knows who the elect are, and it's absolutely righteous because no one deserves heaven. None are righteous. And by God's marvelous grace, he saved. And you who have been able to celebrate the Lord's table today and have come to Christ ought to be driven back with a heart of gratefulness to say, God, why me? But thank you, God, that you chose me. And for those of you that haven't come to Christ, if I have this morning caused you to be abrasive, caused you to say, this guy's out of his tree, to say, there's no way I ever want to believe on a God who chooses, then I'm very pleased. You say, what? Because that's exactly what Paul got for a result. When he preached sovereignty properly, he had to address the question, you're going to say God's unfair. You're going to say, what right does he have? And that's a good thing, because you need to be reminded of who you are. You have no right to say to your maker, what are you doing? You have no right to say to your maker, you can't do that, because he's got every right. What your maker wants is for you to come to the place to recognize it, and to believe. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, if we're honest in our own hearts, subject like this is abrasive. It's offensive. It's offensive to everything we think of as a human being. But how gracious you are to 
open up our hearts and understanding to look down on people that are lost, helpless enemies, without hope, and in your love, send your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to satisfy your righteous payment for sin as the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And then through the foolishness of preaching, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that salvation is free and that it's only found in Christ, that the Holy Spirit does his work to draw people to appropriate faith and to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Thank you for the many in this room who have done that. God, help us to rejoice in that, to be ever grateful and to be bold with the preaching of the word because it is that method that you have chosen to use to draw people to yourself. And I pray that you'd open up the hearts and the minds of those who have not yet come to Christ. They too would believe. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.